Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Linda Franklin and we are number three in our show, uh, or maybe it's number four, Linda, in our uh, Soul Search Tuesdays, where we're bringing some of the greatest spiritual minds in the world to our radio show to talk about things like resilience and and uh, courage and wisdom and uh, letting go, if you will. There's a lot. There's a whole bunch of things that we're covering these days, and we've got two great authors coming on today. Okay, well, why don't you... Tell our listeners who they are. Well, don't leave them in the dark. Don't leave them in the dark. Um, We're actually bringing on a a person that has studied shamanic wisdom. Now, when I think of shaman, all I can think of is on Gilligan's Island, you know, where the headhunter was dancing around him to bring Gilligan out of a chance. So I know I have a lot to learn. (laughs) (laughs) about shamanism but what's neat about this guy is he's had a near-death experience so it kind of goes along with um dr atwater that we had on a while back and um they talk about the presence of these three shining ones and the changing of his perception of it and then he went on to study like 600 different interviews with people about wisdom healing and the power of these ancient traditions um the shamanic trends uh, traditions of his ancestors and it's really cool because you know last year we were talking to a lot of people the psychic the numerologist the the intuitist they all prophesized this world turning you know this big global change that was happening this shift and here he is talking about you know this prophetic vision of the same shift that is cross-cultural now it has to do with you know the the shamans of peru are feeling it so i think it's pretty neat uh and i'm really looking forward to speaking to him okay all right yeah so that's, uh, that's our fun. guest. Um, and then we have, um, you know, kind of an interesting uh, guest coming on. Her name is Suki Forbes, and she wrote a book called The Angel in My Pocket. And she chronicled her journey from grief to resiliency after the death of her daughter, Charlotte. And her daughter, Charlotte, had a rare genetic disorder. And, you know, we had Janet Demeter on a while back, a couple years ago, uh, about Jack's Angels, who lost her son. And it's always amazing to me. You know, I'm devastated over the loss of my dog, much less my child. And so to learn from Suki Forbes about how to bounce back, how to be resilient in the face of unimaginable loss, and then to go in to talk to the shaman, I'm really excited to see what's going to come up. No, they're two great guests. And, you know, it's, it's, 
Well, I'm, I'm glad that they're on the show today because it's been a really crazy four or five days for me. So I really need to connect to that place. Um, and when you're going through the upheaval, it's like, okay, you know, I, I remember all this stuff, but I get caught up in it. I mean, this week um, I ended up having to take my Poochie Lucy to, to the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, I At the same time, I had guests. Uh, family coming in from Toronto, and um, Lucy's, you know, back from the hospital, but I'm watching her, you know, pretty closely and, and giving her medicine, and a lot of medicine, and then today my internet went out, so I have absolutely no internet, and then we went up, I went up to Lord and Taylor to talk about our upcoming Veterans Day celebration for women warriors, and it's like, okay, it, it just, you know, it, and it's not when you are in that space of all this stress, it keeps piling, piling, piling up. It's like, okay, what's next? And then you just have to just lean back from it and say, everything is okay. I was trying to get the Internet working before this show today, and we just, we just couldn't. So you just, at some point you just have to say, just let it go, and the guy's going to come tomorrow and fix it. Yeah. So that's just, you know, you know, Lucy wasn't, uh, you know, that, that, that particularly stressful, uh, causing no sleep and all of that. But, you know, so yes, losing a child, having some great trauma happen in your life is, it, it, it upsets the apple cart. You know, you're like, like you're standing on your head. So when you're going through it, what can you do to get back to, Square one, so that you you feel balanced. Well, and getting that balance back, you know, can take years. I mean, it's it's really, you know, when you think of, you know, we've all experienced loss in our life, loss of a loved one, loss of possessions, loss of whatever. And then that fear that comes around when somebody that you love is sick or you care about them and, you know, you feel so helpless. And you like to think, oh, you know, you hear these things like God has a plan, you know, there's a plan, there's a reason for all this. And those are all really good platitudes, but at the moment that you're suffering and struggling, you know, you're working so hard to just get over the concept of what's happening, much less why. And, you know, you're filled with emotion. So it's very interesting to me to hear you talk about these things because your internet going out on a good day might be a minor nuisance, but coupled with, with Lucy in the hospital and all that stress, you know, that compound stress can just make it really, really hard to problem solve and really, really hard to function. Yeah, but when I really do try to pull back when I'm like that because I know, you know, I know it started with Luce on Friday. And then when you're in that, that space, you're very and, and fearful and stressed. You're, you, you, you emit a very low a low vibration, low energy. And when you, uh, you know, emit that low vibe, low energy, it more stuff like that comes to you. I mean, it, it, every time it just amazes me how it works. It, it, you know, it never fails. You know, when you're in that, that crazy place, more crazy happens. That's absolutely it, you know, right. and it never fails. And even though you know that's what you're doing to yourself, um, it, you just ha you know you really do have to stop and say, okay, I know that that this is going on, and and I'm causing even more crazy. 
I got to take some deep breaths. I've got to figure a way to get out of it because I'm I'm done with crazy. I want to get back to uh, feeling balanced again. Well, and that crazy, a lot of times, like I see it in my little guy uh, right now, he's he's been ordered by the court to visit his father, and he's angry about it, and he keeps fighting what is, and trying to get to, a, a, you know, a, a preteen to a point of acceptance has, has really tried my patience, um, and it's easier for me, because I don't have to accept it, he has to accept it, and I think acceptance is a big, big part of our, our trauma that we put ourselves through when we fight so badly uh, what is. And I remember Dr. Phil, you know, and I, I, I used to be a big fan of Dr. Phil, and I just got tired of him, but it still doesn't negate a lot of the good that he's done. But he was talking about when Oprah went up against the Texas beef guys, and mm-hmm. Oprah spent all of her energy saying, why is this happening? What is going on? And he's like, look, Oprah, you've got to get to the point quick. It doesn't matter why it's happening. Knowing why isn't going to fix it. Knowing why isn't going to change it. You know, we all think if we we talk this stuff to death, we think this some stuff to death, you know, we're somehow going to fix it. But getting to the point of acceptance doesn't mean we have to like it, doesn't mean we have to agree with it. But the acknowledgement of what is means that we can actually start to make some changes because we're not resisting. Um, and we can make different changes in ourselves, make ch- changes in the way we think, make the changes in the way we interact, the changes in yeah. the things that we choose to execute in a different way than we could if we're in full resistance mode. Well, we talked about this on the first show about, you know, if you can look at, if you can remove yourself from all these situations and just look at them like it's a movie going on and um, you're, you're not even part of the movie. It's just a movie. Uh, but, you know, that, that takes work. You know, that is, that's an exercise that you have to keep doing all the time in order to get it strong enough to be able to reach that goal. You can't, it, you know, it's very hard. You can't do it on the first shot and say, and then say, no, no, I, I, I failed and, and that's it. I mean, it is, it's like a muscle that has to be worked all the time. And the more you work that muscle and pull back from the crazy, uh, the better you get at it. And subsequently, then the more peaceful you are. Yeah, but finding peace amidst trauma and high emotion and feelings takes practice. Not easy. You know, I, it's not easy, and it doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally is getting engulfed in the emotion and, and getting pulled in, sucked in. You know, that's kind of what feels natural, at least for me, and to go yeah. with your feelings. But feelings aren't truth, and feelings change. You know, feelings don't always give us the accurate information. They can be a good red flag for something that's going on that needs changing, but they're not always ac- accurate barometers of what's going on. And, you know, and it's how we're wired. And, and you know, and it's easier to go back to, to what you've always done than to, than to go to a new place. Because in a stressful situation, you tend to, you're not thinking uh, clearly. You go to the old place, the things that you've always done, which aren't necessarily the best things that you could do. 
Right. Like trying to go on a diet in the middle of a candy store. You know, that's, that's to me what it feels like, you know, yes. we're supposed to manage your emotions and make these changes in the midst of trauma and high emotional response and feeling. But yet I hear these people doing it again and again, like this Suki Forbes who wrote the book, The Angel in My Pocket, the story of love, loss and life after death. You know, she's faced the what I think as a parent is, you know, probably the absolute the worst. But she brings us from despair into a state of resiliency and grace. And that's, that's really important. Yeah. And it's a process. So I'm, I'm excited to hear the process. I am too. I am too. And she's interesting uh, because her great, great grandfather was Ralph Waldo Emerson, which, you know, I'm a big fan of Emerson. And so I feel like we're in the presence of great greatness. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's in the genealogy, right? That's right. So when it's that six degrees of separation, like Kevin Bacon, I'm like, okay, Linda, we are now separated from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's like degree number one is her. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature, and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Do you want to get a contact high? Tune in for fun, inspiration, and motivation every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Learn how to maximize your mojo and just say no to the status quo. Get inspired and motivated by a fun-loving coach who knows what it's like to get through this thing called life. With your high-on-life coach, Audra Irwin, each Friday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time and 12 noon Eastern. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio, and we are visiting today with Suki Forbes. She wrote a book called The Angel in My Pocket, a story of love, loss, and life after death. And the reason we're bringing her to the airwaves today is because what is such a devastating and just unimaginable experience uh, that Suki has had with her daughter Charlotte 
was what came out of this, Linda. You know, she teaches us how to want to live again. She gives us hope and longing for courage in the face of grief. And she teaches us how to bear the unbearable. And I know as a mother, and Linda, you're a mother of our four-legged sweetheart, um, we can't imagine this kind of loss, much less come out of it teaching others how to heal themselves. So I'm really excited to bring Suki Forbes, the author of An Angel in My Pocket, to the show today. Yes, me too. Oh, Suki. I'm so excited because I love Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I already told you that the listeners that now I'm six degrees of separation away from him. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh well, uh, uh, he's a, he's a noble person to to uh, worship. I feel the same way as you do. Well, and you clearly got his genes because this is a very, very well-written book, a well-executed book. And I want to share just a quick uh, passage that you wrote in here. And I know it's it's in the chapter, Snow Falling Faintly. Mm-hmm. Um, I now felt safe for me to completely fall apart. The renewed strength that he found to be there for me was the final element I needed. I cried for hours while he held me and silently rocked me back and forth. Usually I don't like to be held when I'm troubled. I'm more like a wounded dog who wants to skulk off alone. I was astonished by my own vulnerability and I can't stop crying. That was really raw and it spoke to me because it sounded like I had written it. And I know if I'm reading it and it sounds like me, there's a lot of other people out there that respond like that. So I want to applaud you first for putting the rawness of how you felt so that we could all stand with you in our own grief, if that makes any sense. Well, it does. And I'll I'll tell you that I think, I mean, that was one of the challenges of the book, obviously, is we work really hard to work through all of our own personal struggles, whether whether they're loss or any number of challenges, and then to go back in and revisit them and swim around in that in that sorrow was really hard. So I figured if I was going to really dive in, I might as well just go as deep as I could. And, um, and recreate that on the page. It's interesting to me that you read that passage. Nobody since that book has come out has actually asked me about that. And that was the real turning point for me in the expression of sorrow. It uh, it wasn't a turning point for me, obviously, in coming out of it. But it was really when I hit the bottom of of the grief. So it's interesting to me that you that you grabbed onto that. Well, I think as a culture, we don't like, and I I see this because we've had on the show in the past, Janet Demeter, who owns a charity called Jack's Angels, and my my eight-year-old now son uh, was friends with her son, who died at the age of four of a pediatric brain tumor. And what I found, and you probably experienced this too, first of all, there are no words when your child dies. And I would sit with Janet going, you know, I don't know what to say. And then people would come in and say various good or stupid things. And um, as a culture, we don't deal with death, specifically the death of a child. And people don't know how to relate to you. People avoid you. I mean, there's all sorts of weird stuff that happens that doesn't help your grieving process. Did you experience the same? Yeah, I really did. And I think a lot of, I think that's due to a couple of things. The first is, we're much more insulated now from death than we were even just 150 years ago. It was Death was a part of every house. People died in childbirth. Most families lost a child. The medical care wasn't as good as it is now. And so death was 
death touched every family. Out-of-sequence deaths touched every family. But I also think that particularly in the Western world, we've become more removed from the, the, the ceremonies surrounding death and the preparation of the body, and that also pulls us further away. Um, but to get back a little more to what you asked, I think that p because of those two situations, people don't know how to act and they're afraid that it's contagious. And so many people really create a very wide circle around you and they won't come near. And that's too bad because at a time when you really need support, you certainly don't want people walking away from you. And they do say some crazy things. I, I would just like to point out that probably across the board, the safest thing that anyone could ever say is, I'm sorry, because nobody knows exactly how you feel, not even someone who's lost a six-year-old child to a high fever in the same exact way. Nobody knows because we all move through life with our own backpacks and we look at things through our own lens. So we do. I, and that's part of, you know, like when I read your book and, you know, thinking about like, you know, how to live again. And I, you know, I think a lot about my friend Janet with respect to this, um, I know you knew your life was not over, but there had to be a point at which you just wanted to lay down and die with your daughter. Like they're just, and with respect to that, how did that change you? Cause I, I saw what it did with my friend Janet mm -hmm. and for you to step forward after that, that's to me the just amazing resiliency that you show. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I didn't have a strong religious architecture. So a large part of my journey in the angel of my pocket was figuring out what to believe, not just about God and the world, but also what happens when we die. And when my daughter Charlotte died, I was thrown immediately into that crisis of where is she, where is she, where is she? I had no idea what to do. And so for me, I just started moving. And it was on one of these walks that it became very clear to me I had only three choices. I could die, I could exist, or I could live. And I wanted to die. And I think the first reaction of any parent or any person who has lost an unthinkable loss of losing their child, their very first reaction is, I would die if that happened to me. And I wanted to die. But I didn't get to. I had other children to care for. I had a husband. I had other people who were counting on me. And that didn't fit within my belief system. So the, only, the next option was existing, which I think a lot of us get stuck of anyway, going through our day-to-day -day life without being very mindful of what's going on around us. But existing seemed also, in and of itself, like a death sentence. I wanted to believe that I was going to see my daughter again. And I thought the time would pass a lot more quickly if I was feeling better. So the only option that resonated for me was living. And I didn't want to live, but the best I could do in that moment was to want to want to live. And so I made that declaration and kept that as my long view that was very pivotal in the entire grief process. And um, I just kept moving until I got to that place. And it wasn't until I actually found that place, and it is not a linear path, 
But um, when I ultimately got there, that was when I decided to go back and revisit the whole process and write about it and share it with other people so that perhaps there would be some book out there that showed the process of somebody choosing to live, choosing to survive, choosing to thrive, and then writing about it and sharing it. And as an aside, I would just like to say that I wrote this book because I needed it when I was going through grief. And many of the books that are out there are written by people who are stuck in chronic grief and people who are stuck existing, and they're written by the professionals who take care of them. And so when somebody like me or you or who's look, anyone who's looking for answers or a roadmap or a hand through the process walks into a bookstore or a library, there aren't enough books out there that are, that are uplifting and have a story of resilience and survival. And so I wanted this to be out there. Well, and that's brutally candid. And you even talk about going to see a medium, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's all cool because we've got that, you know, that blonde chick from Long Island who's like the Long Island medium and everything. But prior to that, you know, we didn't have these things. And um, you're not in the right demographic of <laughs> somebody that I would think would go to a medium. And I know we only have a couple minutes to break, but I want you to talk a little bit about that and what you learned um, going to the medium and what you learned about the afterlife, because this is our spirituality series. Okay. I will say very briefly that there are two keys that I think that we need in our in our grieving. And one is to look inside very quietly and listen to what Emerson calls the wise silence and also to look outside and to be really open to other areas that might bring comfort. For me, that came in the form of a medium. And what she did is put me in touch with my daughter. My daughter came through in very clear ways, which you can read about in the book, um, very hard to discount. And that gave me a strong sense of comfort that when we die, our love, when, when our loved ones die, they are separate, but they are still with us. And that we will be together again, and not only that, they are not completely gone. And that was an enormously comforting lesson for me. And, um, and so that in and of itself was very comforting. And now with modern science and the direction that it's going with all of these new dimensions that are not even up for debate in terms of Einstein Einstein, and where things are going with quantum theory. It's all very supportive of another dimension, of our loved ones not being far away from us. And that's a very important lesson for those of us who've lost people that we love to, to learn that we will see them again and they are still with us. Suki, I want to thank you for uh, this book. I want to thank you for opening our eyes and teaching us how to be resilient. The author today was Suki Forbes, S-U-K-E-Y Forbes. You can check her out at SukiForbes.com. Her Twitter handle is at Suki Forbes. The book is The Angel in My Pocket, a story of love, loss, and life after death. I think it's a great read for anybody who has lost a loved one. It doesn't have to be a child because I felt the same way in reading a lot of these things with the loss of my mother. So if your life has come to a halt and you wonder if you want to live again, this is a book that can help you move forward. Uh, 
after the break, we're going to bring on the uh, Oscar Mero Quesada, who wrote a great book called Lessons in Courage, the Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday Life. We're going to keep Suki on the line in case she wants to chime in. More after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The Woohoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world from your work to your relationships, lifestyle to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. You Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature Soul Sense system, Anne offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. Every week on Spark Your Soul Radio, Anne takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin, and we are, gosh, we're at the halfway point, so I'm going to remind you to go to Powered Up Talk Radio, to like us on Facebook, to find us on iTunes. We've got about uh, 35, maybe 40 episodes, and this is part of our Spirituality uh, Tuesdays, our Soul Search Tuesdays, Linda, where we're going through a lot of different near-death, afterlife, uh, oneness, big vision, how the world works. We're tackling a big uh, concept here on Powered Up. 
Uh, we absolutely are, because spiritual, spirituality and all of the things that we've been talking about on the show are so important to live a life that, you know, that you can, you, that you can deal with intelligently and, and heartfully. And, it, you know, as we said in the first segment, it's not easy, but if, if we have a roadmap uh, of things that work and if we pay attention to how we react to different things that happen to us, even on a daily basis, uh, and then attempt to make it better for ourselves, it, it absolutely works. I feel so much better now than I did at the beginning of the show when I told you I was stressed out from all the things that were going on for the last three or four days. I feel like I'm on Mars because I have no, no Internet, or, but, but um, I, and I don't want to interrupt the flow, so I'm just going to stay quiet until uh, I have something to say. <laughs> Well, I Which is not is, like me. <laughs> it is not like you, but I get it because in the face of some of this stuff, you know, you just go, what What do you say? And I really want to hear from these experts. And uh, Oscar Mero Quesada, who is our guest coming up, wrote a book, Lessons in Courage, with Bonnie Glass Coffin, which <laughs> I think is just kind of funny because it's me um, that her last name is Coffin. But uh, he wrote this great book called Lessons in Courage, and he had a near-death experience, and he he had uh, some emotional traumas as a result. And it, during this transformative experience, he encountered the healing presence of the three shining ones. Now, this is interesting to me because we talked about oneness with Rasha. Dr. Atwater talked about whether a near-death experience happens with children or adults. A lot of times they see shining, bright things. It, it agreed with what I experienced when I hemorrhaged when I had the birth of my son um, and that it changed his reality and the perception of it and then we bring on Suki who lost her daughter and had an awareness and an understanding that when we're gone we're not really gone so it's my great pleasure to bring in Oscar Mero Caseda to talk about his book and what he has learned as a result of these experiences Oscar are you with us certainly and thank you for having me on board, Sandra and Linda. It's an honor to be of service to your listening community, especially in regard to these evolutionary experiences of our human spirit. Wow, that's just the perfect way to put it, Linda. We stumble around over it. The evolutionary <laughs> experience of the human spirit. Now, I'm going to go yes. right to the shining ones. i got to ask you, because in my own experience, I only saw one really tall, shiny thing that spoke to me. And you had three of them. So can you tell us a little bit about your near-death experience? Because we just had Dr. Atwater on our show who talked about uh, the commonalities around the world in near-death experiences. Yes. Um, first of all, I'd like to uh, remind everyone that these experiences are uh, tailored to the needs of our individual souls, and it's risky to go ahead and lump them into one uh, common uh, experience that is representative of humanity as a whole. So I'm just going to be able to talk from my own personal subjective experience without making it, uh, you know, dogma. So, yes, I've had three near-death experiences, one at, at age one and a half, another at 10, which is the one that I had the encounter with the three shining ones, and then another at age 33 as a result of an auto accident, all of which are detailed in uh, the book that you mentioned, Lessons in Courage. 
When I was 10 years old, uh, I was taken to the highlands in my native country of Peru to get away from the extraordinary humidity and smog of the capital city of Lima. And uh, I suffered from severe asthma, having often uh, attacks of hypoxia, which resulted in asphyxiation. And so I was uh, on an IV drip of dexamethasone in saline solution, which is, you know, cortisone, basically, just to keep my breathing passages open. Long story short, uh, one of the evenings when I was up in the highlands of Peru in a village called Chosica, which is in the central highlands, I was falling asleep. And my father was a physician working for the National Institutes of Health in Lima, so he would only visit us on weekends, and this was a weekday. I was there alone with my mother. And I began to experience one of the most severe uh, attacks of uh, asphyxiation through hypoxia that I'd ever had. And little by little, my breath uh, vaporized, and I found myself entering into a very liminal or in-between state of awareness, sinking into my bed, disappearing into the darkness, and uh, passing over to another realm, which at that time, at age 10, I can only associate with a blissful release from the pain of, of suffocation. Yet prior to my departure uh, for good, I, I heard my name being called in the background, my nickname at the time. And little by little, I uh, regained consciousness and opened my eyes. And before me, I saw these three luminous forms uh, that were just scintillating and shining. And little by little, they coalesced into a much more anthropomorphized, human-like figures. Uh, the classical uh, Merlin wizard type of a wise old man uh, with long, wispy white hair and beards, penetrating blue eyes, dressed in white uh, tunics, long, long uh, robes. And all the communication was telepathic. And they began to project these telepathic images for the communication wasn't in the form of verbal linear expression. It was more vision and image. And uh, they communicated to me that they were here to sustain my life and to teach me about what my soul's purpose was for incarnating. And as the interested readers uh, may find in the book, there's much more details as to the purpose for this intervention on the part of these beings from alternate realms of, uh, of reality. And it uh, turns out that you can read many of the uh, psycho-spiritual epics uh, in our world's uh, religion and find similar stories of interventions of these types of light beings as well. 
and therefore it is a common human experience on that level when it turns out to be some sort of mystical awakening and also uh, evolutionary state of grace that has been present throughout our human history. Yet in my particular case, it was um, both a, a wake-up call and a deep healing for the three beings that were in my room at that time, one of them that was standing to my left, one to my right, and one at the foot of my bed right in front of me. They were around seven feet tall and uh, of the most extraordinary, compassive feeling, uh, the, the unlimited love that they emanated was astounding in its, in its restorative impact in, in the state of fear that I was experiencing, of course. And the one to my left bent over and placed his lips upon my chest. And in a classic shamanic uh, extraction uh, uh, gesture, as we in shamanism, it is customary to do a suction on a person's body to extract any illness or uh, condition, both of body and of spirit, that may be hindering the person's life. In similar fashion, this being of light began to just. breathe into his own being interminably the entire asthmatic condition I had. It felt like he was doing this extraction by suction for an eternity and then lifted his body, tilted his head back and released this bioetheric miasm that I had been carrying since birth out into the celestial realms in which in a spiral-like vortex fashion vaporized beyond through the ceiling of the room I was in. And I took this extraordinary deep breath like I had never been able to breathe before. And from that moment on, I never suffered from asthma again. And the physicians and my father, of course, were incredulous, and I'm sure many of you in the listening audience may be incredulous with this tale, yet this is my truth. And since then, I began to... Uh, uh, Oscar, I'm going to have to cut trust. you off. We need to go Please. to commercial break. And when we come back from the break, I want to know uh, what you, how this changed your life, how this changed your view of the world, how this changed uh, the way that you practice day-to-day uh, -day living. The guest today is Oscar Mero Quesada. The book is Lessons in Courage, Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday life. When we come back from the break, we're going to want to know about his transformation. And we're also going to hear from Suki a little bit about her own transformation. More after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages.
I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm Free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we are visiting today with Oscar Miro Casada and Suki Forbes. Uh, Linda Franklin and I, as part of our uh, Soul Search Tuesdays. Now, we heard a very compelling uh, a story by Oscar Miro Casada, and it's different, but it's no less compelling than the story Suki Forbes shared with us about um, love and loss and life after death. Her daughter Charlotte passed away. I think. In 2004, if I'm not correct, uh, Suki, I want to ask you, uh, go to you for just for a second, because Oscar was talking about, you know, transformation and how things have changed um, as a result of this experience. You've had a different experience, yet there's very common threads between your two experiences. How has your view of the world changed and your view of life, day-to-day living changed because of the experience of losing your daughter? And Oscar, then I'm going to go to you for the same question. Well, I would say that the greatest lesson that I learned along the way and we touched on it earlier, is that when we die, we are, they, our loved ones are separate, but they still walk with us. And that set me off on another spiritual journey. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. We have some interference. Sorry, Sorry about that. That set me off on another spiritual journey to just to look more into um, spirituality and reincarnation and soul groups and life. And I ultimately came through my process on the far side. And I want to stress again that we all have to take our own journeys and that it involves being open-minded. And for someone else, this may take a different form, but we all find comfort somewhere by looking outside of ourselves. But I ultimately 
came to be very comfortable that we move through life and we learn lessons along the way. And as we go through and learn those lessons, it makes us deeper, kinder, more empathic human beings on all fronts. And we need to be open to them and we need to listen and we need to learn so that the next time around when we are with our loved ones again and we go through, we don't have the same lessons placed in front of us. Oscar, you have had this experience three times. You've had three near-death experiences. So I want to go to you and ask you the same question. How have you transformed as a result of these miraculous experiences, and how has your view of the world changed? Well, as with any encounter with non-ordinary realms of being, such as Sukkis uh, uh, and many other peoples, um, we are confronted with a um, a view of reality that uh, is contrary to what our consensual notions of normalcy are, and it forces us to do some deep soul-searching as to the purpose of our lives and also the possibilities of what it means to be human. And my own transformation really occurred years after this encounter with the Three Shining Ones. It was when I first met my shamanic mentor, Don Celso Rojas Palomino, from the northern coastal town of Salas in Peru, in which I participated in his first uh, ceremonial healing ritual uh, that involves an all-night practice uh, that the community gathers for in which deep healing occurs. And out of the center of this ceremonial altar space that we call a mesa, all of a sudden, I was 18 years old, so it was eight years after I'd had this encounter, which I promptly became amnesic of. I had forgotten all about it, and from age 10 to 18, just went ahead with the normal activities of any young uh, teenager or pre-puberty teenager, until that fateful day when I first met my mentor. And uh, this was in the middle of the night, and uh, in an extremely exotic uh, ritual setting, and out of the center of the healing space started to emerge this uh, luminescence, and then it coalesced into the three shining ones, and I was aghast. And at that moment, Don Celso, who I was sitting to his right, elbowed me and told me, do you remember them? He asked me this. And so when I heard him ask me, do you remember them? And I realized that he also was seeing the same beings that I was seeing. I realized this was not a hallucination, that this was not an ecstatic state of fantasy that I was in, that it wasn't imaginary, that there was something concrete and something replicable that was of importance uh, to the future of my spiritual development. And now, Oscar, of course, I'm going to my... stop you here for a second. I need to stop you here for a second because I want to go to Suki. Suki, when you met with the medium that brought your daughter to you, you said that there was something, you know, that couldn't be denied, something replicable, something, I don't remember the terms you used, but can you weigh in on this for me? 
Well, uh, she it's actually the reason for the title of the book. I when I first went to see this medium, I went out of curiosity and I was picked out of an audience of about 500. And she walked through and she started to describe uh, my daughter. And she she said, if I'm talking about somebody who sounds like one of your loved ones, raise your hand. So I'm accelerating this. But it was very clear she was talking about my daughter. And I ultimately put my hand up and I was really reluctant. I wanted to just go and listen and see what this was all about. And she ended up telling me things about my relationship with Charlotte, about my my her Charlotte's brother and sister, about Charlotte's father, and um, about things that had happened in our neighborhood. For example, they'd lit up a tree with pink lights in her honor. Very specific bits of information. And the ultimate piece of information for me was she, the medium said she wants to acknowledge something that you carry in your pocket that's white and sparkly. And I had found an angel on a shelf in Charlotte's room long after she or shortly after she died. And I'd been carrying it in my pocket ever since. I'd never told a soul. I'd never told my husband or my children. The only other person who knew about that angel was Charlotte. And that was very confirmatory for me. And um, that uh, there was just no there. And she also told me things that I didn't know about that. She said, well, you go check on this and verify it. And so there couldn't even have been an element of mind reading. So it was it was quite extraordinary and very clear that this woman had access to information from another realm and was definitely in touch with some essence of whatever was my daughter. Now, Oscar, I'm going to go back to you at this point, because in your book, you write that there's wisdom gained from this experience of one soul awakened to his destiny as an instrument of love and healing in the world. So how how do you manifest that after you say something like that? What does that look like? You know, what does that look like to somebody like me who sits and talks on the radio? Well, as Suki has mentioned, uh, these uh, encounters with the other side are uh, validations that there are uh, a spiritual destiny that awaits most human souls. And in my particular case, uh, after that experience, I was led to study psychology at leading universities in the United States and Peru, and also uh, dedicate myself to uh, safeguarding the indigenous healing wisdom of our original peoples of our planet and therefore have been involved in uh, creating uh, shamanic and uh, alternative wisdom practices that have been widely received uh, around the world as an alternative to our allopathic uh, modalities. So my, uh, my path of service uh, has always been one of understanding that healing really is a restoration of wholeness and that that restoration of wholeness must be done as a labor of love and that love is the most important field of influence that human beings have been privileged to embody because it's all about caring and caring in a way that uh, sees the other person regardless of their suffering or their state of uh, de uh, debilitation that they may have as 
perfect exactly as they are, as enough. And the minute you can embrace or I can embrace somebody, even though they are in great pain, as exactly where they need to be on their soul's journey, then at that moment there's a shift in relationship that allows the love that is our essence to be the healing salve. And therefore we can step out of the side and allow great spirit to do the magic it's done for millennia. In other words, be a hollow bone, an instrument of compassion and love in the world. That is how I offer the experiences I have uh, as as a healer. Can I add something? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I, I would love to just add that in all of our experiences, when, when we're coming out of challenge, that to have faith in something larger than ourselves is incredibly important. And by faith, I think we sometimes get caught up in religion, but I think it's very important to stress that anything larger than ourselves, and it exists in all cultures, and that you know, all of our greatest religious leaders, Jesus wasn't a Christian, Buddha wasn't a Buddhist, Muhammad wasn't a Muslim, but they did all teach, just as Oscar said, they all taught love and compassion and connection. And those are very important messages for all of us to move through life and to really feel embraced. And that's very generalized faith-based in something larger than us. Wow. I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, something larger than us. Oscar, you've got about a minute before I need to take us out to the end. Oh, I don't even have a minute, you guys. I'm so sorry. I could talk to the two of you forever. The two guests that we had on today with myself and Linda Franklin on Powered Up Talk Radio, Lessons in Courage uh, is what um, is, is Oscar Mero Quesada's book. You're going to want to Check it out. He wrote it with Bonnie Glass Coffin. It's Lessons in Courage, Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday Life. Uh, it's in the Body, Mind, and Spirit section. And then you're going to want to pick up the angel in my pocket. Whether you've lost a child, whether you've lost a loved one, whether you've lost a pet, or whether you're just interested in this, Suki Forbes really, really does a great job explaining what it feels like, what it looks like, and talks to us how we can walk through grief and come out the other side resilient and powerful and amazing. I thank you both. You've been outstanding guests today. Next week, we'll be back with more. Thank you. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and 